Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, Michael Steele podcast listeners. Michael Steele here with another quick take from the Michael Steele podcast. Check out what's going on right now. Welcome back, everyone, to the Michael Steele Podcast. Um, we're engaged in, a, I, I think, a very helpful and insightful conversation around uh, the emerging strength and growth of Gen Z voters uh, who are really reshaping uh, the political landscape, particularly with the election of someone like a Maxwell Frost, uh, the level of, of voter or sustaining a high level of voter turnout among Gen Z voters, younger voters, uh, with our guests, uh, Mariana Prakora and uh, Victor Shi from uh, the Voters of Tomorrow. Uh, so let's let's do a little politics unpacking here and kind of get into um, the 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 makeup of the Gen Z voter. I, I've been reading a number of things that paints a very interesting picture of. A Gen Z voter, they they tend to be a little bit more center right than um, one would really think of young voters as like these flaming liberals. But it's but it's not in in the traditional sense. I mean, it's, it may be around some economic issues. It may be around um, some some other issues around uh, you know free speech or whatever. How, how would you describe uh, your your Gen Z voters that you're working with and running into on college campuses across the country? Because I, I I would almost say that there is this, you know, there's a lot of place, certainly in conservative circles, where they like to throw up the UCLA's and the Harvard's where, you know, a conservative speaker is shouted down and they want to take that and launch into this sort of right-wing screed that, um, you know, see these, these uh, young people uh, are not uh, welcoming of conservative thought. Um, some of the Gen Zers I've talked to, you know, yeah, I, I, they, I could see them um, in the Republican Party just as well as I could see them in the Democratic Party and certainly as independent voters. What's, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but give us a sense and flavor of who a typical Gen Z voter is. So... Um, I'll, I'll just start by saying, I think that what you're seeing, and this is really interesting, especially from young people, is that we tend to reject party labels more than any other generation. So we find less young people actually say that they're a Democrat or Republican outright. And I think it's more about the values for a lot of young people. So what we actually believe in, what we want to see in our candidates. And on the most part, I think a lot of young people tend to agree with what the outcome should be. Maybe the process is different, but on a lot of the outcomes, these are things that impact all generation, or I guess all young people in this generation, things like climate change change, things like uh, gun violence. These are things that young people have to grow up with. And whether you're Republican or you're Democrat, I think you find more overlap on a lot of those issues. And so at the end of the day, it's, you know, which party is going to actually support these issues? And 
I think right now it's becoming harder for young people to actually support this Republican Party that one, I think, has spent a long time just attacking young people on our rights. Right. And two, just really hasn't delivered. You think of, you know, what happened after the 2022 election. It's like every single time you you would think that the Republican Party would st- take a step back, do some sort of autopsy report, which I know is uh, no you're no stranger to, Michael. But they don't. I mean, the the thing that they have now is they want to raise the voting age. And they also uh, say that young people are dumb for voting for Democrats. And when you attack young people, that's just not a winning strategy. And so I think a lot of the times, you know, we don't really strongly believe in one party or another. But right now, I think the reason why you see a lot of young people actually voting for Democrats is because you have such a contrast between uh, both parties. Yeah, just so I can clarify for the record, my, my point was not to say that those individuals who would be Republicans. My point was that they they tend to have a more Republican view on some issues um, in, in some of my conversations with them. Uh, and, and that's been very enlightening to me in terms of the broadness of scope and range on the issues. And it re- you really articulated it well. It's not so much about the party. It's, in fact, it's not very little about the party. But it is about the philosophy and the and the ideology and and all the other things that go into making up of how making up how I come to approach a particular issue, whether I think taxes should be higher or lower, whether corporations have a role or a civic uh, social responsibility or they don't. You know, so there there's a lot more thinking and an evolution in that in that thought than I think we've seen in past generations. I want to build on what Victor said a little bit, because I do think it is incredibly true that young voters are very issue driven voters and not necessarily party driven voters. Um, We do see sort of like the more social issues that Victor was talking about, like gun violence prevention, climate change, um, LGBTQ plus rights. But there is also sort of this narrative that young voters are sort of strictly socially driven. And I think that that's a really big mistake to make because young voters are also economically driven incredibly because a lot of times young voters are the ones that are having trouble affording housing, having trouble affording their food. They're working entry-level jobs, minimum wage jobs, and they're just doing their best, like a lot of Americans are, to pay their bills and make it through the month. And so I think that you also take a look at which party has been doing the work to sort of prove themselves to those voters to provide the resources that people in our country need. And it's not the Republican Party. The Republican Party, like Victor was saying, is doing things like trying to raise the voting age, take power away from young people, focusing on sort of like hyper-social issues like critical race theory and sort of don't say gay and all of the very sort of anti-youth education war aspects of it. And then also just denigrating young people and saying that we're making bad decisions and that's not going to be a way to bring people in if the republican party wants to bring young people in then show young people a tax proposal that's going to be beneficial to them right um so that's not happening and young people aren't dumb about it they see that they see it for what it is they know who's gonna they know who's gonna fight for them and right now it's not the republican party so you do you see among Gen Zers a difference between an African American Gen Z voter and a Hispanic Gen Z voter, uh, a female Gen Z voter? In other words, prior generations. Again, we're notorious for it in in my generation. I'm at the tail end, the very tail end of the baby boomers, um, 
and you, we everything is compartmentalized and boxed and, and labeled, right? Says so it because it makes us feel so much better. You know, we just put it in the box and put it on the shelf and not have to deal with it. Um, what what do you see going on among Gen Z um, Gen Z voters or non voters, just Gen Z individuals, and how they look at the community of Americans, the community of people? Uh, in the context, especially of, of democracy, do, is there any of that compartmentalization? Is there is there sort of a, an appreciation for the historic relevance of 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 let's say the black narrative, the female narrative in this country? Um, how, how how does that play itself out and manifest itself? So. Uh- I'll just say, I think it's becoming really hard to paint Generation Z in broad strokes. I mean, you you have, you know, maybe a lot of kind of attempts to, but I think at the end of the day, what makes this generation so unique is that uh, this is the most diverse generation in America. We are the most educated generation in America. And that's part of the reason why at the end of the day for both parties, the most important thing they can do is simply listen to as many Gen Zers as possible because every Gen Zer you're going to find, whether they're in California or New York or in the middle of the country, they're going to have some slightly different viewpoints. And if you're Black Gen Z, or if you're an Asian American Gen Z, or if you're a Hispanic Gen Z, or I think a lot of it really depends on kind of what, like where you are, like looking at them and and kind of where they're from, because that, because we're just kind of there's so many of us and there's so many kind of different parts of Gen Z, so many identities. This is the first generation that kind of dubs itself as the pluralistic we in the sense that we have so many different communities and so many different identities and experiences that it's really hard, I think, for politicians and elected officials. And I think they would be kind of underserved if they think that they can just you know, generally characterize Gen Zers. So that's why you have a lot of groups like Voters of Tomorrow and other organizations just really pushing for one, the administration, and two, just anyone who's running for office, the best thing they can do is just sit down, talk to Gen Zers, and understand their concerns. I don't think there's anything else to say. Victor hit it right on the head. We are an incredibly diverse generation, and I think that a lot of the mistakes that have been made in trying to sort of engage specific subsections of our population in the past have been that people have been painted as a monolith. The Hispanic community has been painted as a monolith for a really long time. Um, Black voters are typically painted as a monolith, and I think that we can recognize with Gen Z that that is not true, and we should be taking that into our other conversations about other types of voters, but I don't think that you can ever paint an entire generation under broad strokes. It's going to be impossible to have like one specific Gen Z strategy in that works in one state and works in every other state. You're not, that's not going to work. Uh, The national Gen Z conversation needs to be different than the Gen Z conversation happening in a state on a campus in a classroom. And I think that we have to recognize that we are not a monolith. We are, a group of individuals and a group of communities right. and we're all going to think a little differently. So, so in that thinking a little differently, how do you, so is the goal then to reach a consensus around governing? How do you do that? Um, and this is one of the things, one of the interesting things that I'll be watching with Maxwell Frost, the newly elected member to Congress, how he reconciles an established order of things for good, bad, or indifferent, Right not casting a judgment on the congressional structure, although I have a lot of judgments I could cast, um, against uh, the the sort of free-flowingness of what you just described. I mean, are there are there things principally 
that Gen Zers as a consensus um, agree on. Um, and it, uh, there may be no answer to that. And there's certainly no right or wrong answer. I'm just, I'm just more curious as to how you see this generation evolving um, to marry up with a structure um, that, that requires structure when that may or may not necessarily be the tool that your generation sees as a way to success. Um, conformity and, and all of those things, there may be some wisdom in, in saying, well, you know, Mariana in Washington, D.C., and Michael in Maryland, and uh, Victor in California having different experiences when they meet up in Congress can build a better consensus around sort of a preordained agreement around something that doesn't take into account all these other variables that clearly your generation is more sensitive about. Does that make any sense or did I just lose you? <laughs> no, I, th I think I've got you. I think I've got you. And I think that there is something really important to recognize, which is that young voters are pragmatic. We know that not everything that we want to see is going to get done in an instant, but we do recognize that the structures that we have are the structures we have to go through. Can I, can I interrupt if, you there real quick, Mary? Yeah. you just put your finger on the thing that's so, and I was, I'm so glad you answered <laughs> that question that way, because that was the answer I was looking for. And you just affirmed <laughs> for me why I feel and have felt the way I felt about David Hogg and those young people uh, in Florida uh, from uh, Stoneman Douglas, because that's exactly what they were. They were pragmatic. Yeah. They they actually used the system that was given to them, and they had an impact. They made an impact. They changed the laws in Florida. They they did they did a little old school sit in and legislators' offices because okay, you got to come to work at some point. I'm gonna be here. But they also did the new thing where they connected the networks of student bodies around the country um, and had a very pragmatic conversation about what reform could be achieved. So thank you for confirming that for me, because it was in, I didn't want to give the answer <laughs> I, I, that I thought, but you yeah. just did. And I appreciate it. But I'll let you continue. I just wanted because I'm old and I would have forgotten to make that point. So I just wanted to say. Right. But it's just like. The structures that we have are the structures that we're going to have to go through to see the change that we want to make. It might take time. It might take a couple extra cycles of electing some more young people into office. But if the start of getting the things that we want to get done, done is putting Maxwell Frost into Congress, taking him from on the ground organizing, a little bit more sort of young, fun stuff like working at March for Our Lives in the ACLU um, and doing that organizing work then and there. And taking that and moving it to the place where all our decisions get made in this country and putting one of those young people that has those conversations into that system, then I think that that's just the first step to taking our ideals and moving them into legislation. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Heck, give us two five-star reviews. I love it. Or catch us on Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, or wherever you get that podcast thing on. You know how that goes. Peace out.
Black representation in the media is so critical. I, I can't imagine doing what I do today were it not for the towering figures like April Ryan, Eugene Robinson, and the late, great Gwen Ifill. And the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you're going to find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Retaliation with Julie Reginsky is a weekly podcast focused on the stories of women who have spoken truth to power and have persevered despite the costs. It shares the experiences of courageous people who have sometimes been celebrated, but too often castigated for standing up for themselves and for others. Each week, I examine the structures, systems, and culprits responsible for perpetuating and promoting workplace toxicity. You'll hear stories from female celebrities, music label executives, politicians, police officers, and many others as we examine the cultural reevaluations, policy changes, and legal steps that can finally bring an end to the ongoing attack on women in this country and around the world. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We need to listen to people who disagree with us. Hey, former Congressman Joe Walsh here. I have a podcast called White Flag with Joe Walsh. Every week I sit down with people who do not think like me and we model how to have respectful conversations, right? With people we disagree with, learn to understand. We got to do this if we want to keep this democracy going. Um, Listen to White Flag with Joe Walsh. It's a daily podcast or weekly conversation, but you can catch a little something every day. Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast. White Flag with Joe Walsh. Check it out. Honest, uncomfortable 
conversations.